everyone, and welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 161, and we're reviewing Jujutsu Kaisen Season 2, Part 1. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode. Jujutsu Kaisen is back, and it feels like an eternity since we last saw the main trio. I'm going to say that right off the bat, and I didn't feel that until we got to episode six and i was like holy shit they're like strangers at this point yeah it's been about two years since we last saw them in season one season one part two um and you know we recorded obviously we recorded a a review series for parts one and two of season one way back when too so a lot of this was hard to recall from memory of like what has happened up until now. I know there were two recap episodes uh, that I had tried to watch, but I just didn't have enough time. Um, so, I mean, I'll, maybe we'll help jog each other's memories. But yeah, it's so funny like how the the chronological order of Jujutsu Kaisen just feels so out of sync, like with the way that it's actually released. Uh, because prior to this, we had Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, which was a prequel to the entire series. Then we go into season two, and then we have another, it's another prequel, um, which is a, a prequel to the prequel. And then now we have the, the Shibuya incident, which takes place after season one. There's that, you know, the meme of the, the drawn horse. Yeah. <laughs> like I've seen that floating around kind of explaining, like, like obviously a lot of people, have Jujutsu Kaisen in high regard. So they have a picture of the horse representing each season, like sections of the horse representing each season of Jujutsu Kaisen, but everything is just out of order. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's a smart choice, but because we've had so much content that's not about the main trio, that's not about present day since season one, I think that's why it feels so long. Like you said, it's only been a couple of years since we actually saw the end of season one, but with a movie... And the start of season two showing us something that happened way beforehand. I think that's why we feel distant from Itadori, Fushiguro, and Nobara. But I, I think it's a smart decision. I think it's really, um, it, it's key that the way this is all playing out is like timed perfectly. Mm -hmm. Because they're using the release order as a way to emphasize the importance of certain events. Namely, the situation between uh, Gojo and Geto, right, with like mm -hmm. the first five episodes of season two, um, showing us that in the beginning, I think amplifies what's happening in the Shibuya incident. It amplifies the importance of Geto as a villain and how much it's like killing Gojo inside to see what's happening to him. And even the prequel movie before the season, Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, I think also informs a lot of the events that happen in season two but i was going to take it one step further and say that season two it, it, it's basically outlining how important gojo is not just to this show but just to to the anime fandom um and in that sense i, I felt more invested with this season uh, because i i know that it's been like i said it's been many years since we watched season one but I know one of the lingering questions out of season one was that we had was like, what is like, why is Gojo so OP? And yeah. we basically learned that 
in Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, we learn that here in the what's called the Hidden Inventory or Premature Death arc. Um, and so with all that combined, I, I, I will say that as much as I joke that I think Jujutsu Kaisen is, is mid, <laughs> um, I, I do feel a bit more invested in the series this season. Um, but, you know, I think the one thing that kind of makes me tap out a bit is when they start talking about like the curses and the domains the lore in yeah, general the, the, the oh power my system like i i too i kind of zone out or tune out every time someone has to explain like domains and how this domain cancels out the other domain or like the, the grades of curses like for someone who is more invested in jujutsu kaisen i'm sure that's uh that's a big thing for them to to take in but for someone like me who kind of is watching this casually <laughs> like for my no pun intended for my monkey brain <laughs> I, I i just want to see like the action unfold and we we do get that here so i i do appreciate that but and i also appreciate the lore like i appreciate the explanation and how well thought out and well kind of like built up the power system is the curse like situ like the curse system i guess you could call it again all of that lore to jujutsu kaisen but i think we talked about this in our review of season 1 as well i think jujutsu kaisen is um it, it gives viewers lore fatigue yeah i felt that in season 1 mm -hmm. i'm feeling it in season 2 again it's not to say i don't appreciate the lore it's just i have to sometimes stop and like try to absorb what's happening or rewatch a scene where a character is explaining stuff and i think a big flag of like a lot of lore being dumped on the audience is when there are these breaks that happen in the action or or the scene that's unfolding so that a character can like pause right and like explain everything to the other characters in the room but really they're explaining it to the audience so the fact that they have to mm -hmm. stop what the the flow of the story to take a moment to explain the lore it that kind of shows that it is a lot of information they're trying to convey and they do a decent job right like they try to always combine it with visuals to help help the the audience understand the com the complexity behind this lore but again it, it doesn't stop us as viewers from getting lore fatigue so i i like the lore it just takes a lot for me to absorb it yeah and i get it too like specifically the whole plan to get gojo at a specific point um and in a specific status um in the subway in order to seal him like i i know mechamaru's fight uh was kind of like a test for ghetto or the pseudo ghetto um, to kind of formulate the plan based on like how the domains work. Like I know that 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 was needed for con or like to really understand how they were able to entrap Gojo. But in my head, I'm thinking, okay, they just want to entrap Gojo. <laughs> like that's all I need to know. Um, but you know, it to get from point A to point B, it took a, a lot of different side alleys and, and intersections to get there when you could have just had a straight line through but again that's just me wanting to be a casual viewer of Jujutsu Kaisen um, and I, I guess it's it's kind of a, a minor gripe compared to how the rest of this season has played out so far but speaking of the season and how it's playing out so far are you enjoying the first half of season two I am I mean 
the one thing that I would say, you know, my other sort of minor gripe with season two is, well, with the the hidden inventory arc, it was kind of the pacing of it. I didn't think that five episodes felt like enough to flesh out Gojo and Ghetto's relationship and also Ghetto's descent into villainy. Um, and with the Shibuya incident arc, like I, I, get, I get that the focus is on Gojo and how him being taken out of the game changes it changes the game for both the Jujutsu Sorcerers and the Curse users. But I think with this first core, it had to put so much attention on that that all the other characters um, that we're familiar with are kind of relegated to sort of cameo roles. And I don't know if that's the kind of feeling that you got too, but I especially noticed this with Itadori. I mean, I know he has episodes where you know we, we see him uh, using his, his powers and teaming up with uh, Fushiguro, but it never felt like he was the main character. Like it, it, it for a majority of the time felt like Gojo was. Was that the same feeling you got, or how, like how do you feel about this first half? I completely agree with you there. I think that Gojo certainly feels like the main character at this point, and Itadori does not feel like the main character. I would say once the first season ended, everything after that was like Gojo central. It was mm. all centered around Gojo. And it's not bad, right? Because it's, it's interesting content, but it feels like a huge shift from what we got in season one. Um, I, I think that even the fact that Sukuna is supposed to be a key player in all of this. Yeah, where the fuck is he? I completely forgot until a character said it in one of the, you know, the early episodes when we switched to the Shibuya incident. I was like, oh shit, that's right. <laughs> Sukuna is a thing and we still have to worry about that threat. Uh, so yeah, I completely agree with you there. Where I disagree is the first five episodes of season two. I'm very impressed with how they were able to tell a full story and do so with really good pacing in just five episodes. They told a very important part of the story, a key part to Gojo um, himself in just five episodes and do so really well. And not only that, but also share a pretty significant part of Fushiguro's story, which is his father. So they they gave us a ton of stuff in five episodes, but sometimes it felt rushed, right? Like there, there were some moments where they were kind of moving shit along, mm -hmm. but it never felt like we needed more. Did I want more? Absolutely. I would have loved a couple of extra episodes for them to really flesh out certain parts, but I think they did an impressive job with those first five episodes. Yeah, I guess the, the incident that they focused on the hidden inventory arc was kind of the crossroads for us to really understand things from Gojo's side, things from Ghetto's, and even from Fushiguro's father's side. Um, but yeah, I don't know if maybe I just wanted a little, some more examples of that because uh, it, it did. It still showed that Gojo is powerful, but maybe there wasn't enough context with it or like learning about why he's part. I think later on when like the, the fight with the, the granny and her grandsons, there was a flashback of Gojo. I feel like that added a little bit more context. So stuff like that, I would have wanted to see more of in the prequel arc. Um, but I don't know. Part of me just felt like Ghetto's descent 
again, into villainy. It was kind of like it was very cut and dry. And I maybe I wanted more of like a progression into that rather than I think episode five. It just says like, oh, Gojo's gotten so powerful that it's left Ghetto alone, uh, alone with his thoughts. And that's where like he starts thinking that non-sorcerers are a bunch of monkeys. And and then that's why he he fights on the villain side. I still think it was smart for them to have those first five episodes um, like allocated to that bit of a prequel and it it was a very odd release schedule overall i think they released the first five episodes had a uh, a recap episode had a break and then jumped into the shibuya incident so this is a unique a unique experience that we're going through with jujutsu kaisen but again all smart choices um all around i think that makes it a bit different for us here at strictly anime because typically with these longer seasons We'll split things right down the middle and um, stop at the halfway point, which is traditionally like, you know, the first 12 episodes. So, yeah, needless to say, this review episode is going to have a weird stopping point in the story. Um, We decided to do the first 11 episodes, so 1 through 11 of season 2 in this review. And then we'll do the remainder um, of the episodes 12 through 23, if I remember correctly, in our part 2 review of season 2. So yeah, I don't know if it's a weird stopping point because we haven't watched past episode 11. We don't know what's going to happen next, but I can't imagine there's like a clean halfway point. Yeah, I mean, it's even after episode 11, they're still in Shibuya on Halloween. So it's not like 11 or 12 might be a clear conclusion point. Maybe like Gojo being sealed would have been a good stop, but think that would have been like nine or ten episodes and that wouldn't have been enough for a uh, for a review yeah it never feels like there's a clean like cliffhanger or a clean like breaking point where things kind of shift so we're just doing things the way we always do one through 11 that's what you're getting on this review episode all right strictly fam time for a shibuya yeah yeah shibuya roll call as we dive into our synopsis and discussion for Jujutsu Kaisen Season 2, the 2023 anime adaptation of a manga series written and illustrated by Gege Akutami. Produced by Studio Mappa and directed by Shota Gozono, the second season serves as both a prequel to and continuation of the first season, with the first half, the hidden inventory slash premature death arc, depicting the fallout between high school friends turned enemies Satoru Gojo and Suguru Geto, and the second half, the Shibuya Incident arc, focusing on a war breaking out between sorcerers and curses in Tokyo's Shibuya district on Halloween. Starting with the Hidden Inventory and Premature Death arc in Episode 1, Hidden Inventory, it's the year 2006. Steve Irwin has been mortally stung by a stingray, Pluto has been downgraded to a dwarf planet, and curses have been causing their general sense of anime turmoil until best buddies Mojo Gojo, Gedo Superstar, and Shoko Loko team up to show the curses who's boss, at least until the next Jujutsu anime trio arrives 12 years later. Gojo and Gedo are tasked to be hired muscle for the high school female vessel for immortal sorcerer Tengen, who unfortunately is not as hot as his demon slayer counterpart. This task proves to be quite hairy, however, as several factions vie for the vixen of a vessel including Fushikushi's diabolical dad, who happens to sound just like Dio. 
This is a really good start to the season. Like Mappa is getting super artsy with a lot of their shots and a lot of their camera work. And I'm here for it. I, I like that they're pushing boundaries and trying things that are new and different, but also aren't rotoscoping or CGI. Really? Because there was that hallway scene where it was like the time loop or whatever that had 3D animated environments and rotoscoping. Yeah, okay, that was okay. That's <laughs> fine. That's fair. There was that moment. But for the most part, it was um, it was very pleasing to watch a lot of what they were doing in this first episode. Yeah, I mean, it, it's MAPPA. Like, we know them for their top-tier animation quality. Um, maybe, you know, questionable studio practices as well. But um, yeah, again, it's Jujutsu Kaisen still looking at its finest um, in this season and in this prequel. So for anyone who has not seen Chainsaw Man or read Chainsaw Man, this is like minor spoilers, um, but skip ahead a little bit. But in our Chainsaw Man review, we talked about similarities between Chainsaw Man and Jujutsu Kaisen. And both of them came out in 2018. The mangas came out in 2018. So I I don't know how these similarities happen. But in this first episode, I feel like it slightly further proves that that little point that we were making in Chainsaw Man um, because you have this building, right, being a trap. It's like an infinite loop that's controlled by a curse And it messes with time where they don't realize they're gone for two days. That kind of also happens in Chainsaw Mm -hmm. Man in a very, very similar fashion. It's a more drawn out like part of the show in Chainsaw Man. But again, it's 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 the same concept as what we're seeing here. So just wanted to call that out because I know we talked a little bit about that again in our Chainsaw Man review. And when I saw this, I, I my mind immediately immediately went back to it. Yeah, I I had to bold my notes during this this scene of like how much it reminded me of Chainsaw Man. And speaking about similarities, this is more of a similarity within Jujutsu Kaisen itself. Of course, Gojo, Geto, and Shoko are basically the original Itadori, Fushiguro, and Nobara. Very mm-hmm. similar here. But I think the, the craziest part of episode one for me was learning that... Um, Fushiguro's dad, Toji, was part of the Zenin clan, but decided to take his wife's last name because he fucking hates the Zenin clan. Yeah. And I mean, this is where like my memory kind of failed me, but I think from season one, Fushiguro Megumin, right? This is like his real name. Megumi. Megumi, Megumi is from. Oh, wait, <laughs> that's from Konosuba. Konosuba. <laughs> uh, Megumi. I'm referring to Megumi Fushiguro here. He was saying that he. he kind of loathed his dad right yeah and so this kind of explains it because his dad's pretty much a dick yeah so okay leading up to this i knew there was gonna be something about fushiguro's dad who i'm gonna refer to as toji that way i can continue to refer to fushiguro as fushiguro um i I knew about him because manga readers they are like all over him they they love this guy they're they're simping over him i've seen so many twitter posts about him or tweets or whatever and I don't know anything about him other than he's like a fucking zaddy. So now we know. Now we've been introduced to Zaddy Toji. And uh, and we know why Fushiguro fucking hates his guts. Just from these five episodes 
Yeah, or however many chapters <laughs> in the manga they've already established him as a zaddy. Hell yeah! <laughs> Unless there's something else that happens later this season where um, it, it further establishes Toji as a zaddy. Also, I like that they chose Takehito Koyasu as his VA. Obviously, the voice for Dio. Uh, you know, it just oozes villainy. So yeah. perfect, perfect <laughs> casting here. And there's whole, this whole thing with the the Tengen Sama, which I didn't really fully understand. Like, it's not that this. I think he's a sorcerer. It's not like he's an important part of like the cursed history, is he? The one that she has to fuse with. Yeah. He like he like keeps things in balance. He keeps things in check. Okay. He's like him continuing to exist allows like certain like fail safes allows oh. like certain levels of security um like among this world of like curse curses and stuff it's like the best okay. way that i could explain it again a lot of lore <laughs> sometimes it gets a little convoluted um but that was my understanding is like he the reason he needs to continue existing or it needs to continue existing is because it it protects them and like keeps the balance secure but then who ends up being his vessel in the end if Rico dies? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember if they talked about it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't remember did. either. But I was thinking of that, like, you know, after watching episode, or I think it's episode four where we witness her death. Um, like, if he, if he's supposed to keep, like, this, this balance in the force or whatever, <laughs> like, what happened with the vessel that was supposed to, like, who's going to be his vessel? But... I don't know. Again, maybe this is just, it's just a random event that they wanted to choose to highlight Gojo and Gato's deteriorating relationship. Um, But I don't know, like that was one thing. And maybe, again, someone who is well-versed in Jujutsu Kaisen lore can further explain this. Um, But yeah, it just seemed that in the end, this whole Tengen thing was inconsequential. Also, this is the episode where we see that funny walk between Gojo and Ghetto. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> or I think they were talking about this whole Tengen thing. Um, but it was I think Gojo behind Ghetto drinking out of the, the the fucking, I don't know, pop can. And just like swinging his arms back and forth. Yeah, and then, you know, Ghetto's hunched over. Like, just a weird scene. But I think it's become a meme now in the community. <laughs> uh, oh, we forgot to talk about OP and ED. Oh shit! You're right. right. So there, there are two for each in this season, obviously because of the prequel and of the present day arcs. Um, but for this prequel arc, we have the OP Ao no Sumika, where where our blue is, as translated by Tatsuya Kitani. Um, I call this the Gojo OP with the Mappa touch because Gojo is kind of like they're, they're what do you call that? Like the golden poster boy for, for Mappa right now. Um, you know, just to briefly talk about, there's not much that I could say about the visuals besides, you know, it focusing on the prequel trio, but it was kind of weird seeing Ghetto in a comedic and a friendly role in this OP. Yeah. Similar to just how he has his banter with Gojo throughout these first five episodes. It is a a unique take on that, but I, I enjoyed it. Lyrics wise, you have blue. I think being a reference to Gojo's family's cursed technique, Blue, but also I would say of the deteriorating relationship between 
him and Gedo, especially if you look at the chorus. In the depths of eternity that left behind our blue still lives, our blue is still clear. No prayer or word could ever reach you, no matter how close they could get to you. And I will say out of the two OPs this season, I find this to be more of a vibe, uh, even though it only played for like five episodes. It's kind of like a JoJo Part 1, how that OP was only made for the first nine episodes of season one. And then see, uh, the, the the next half were a different OP. Yeah, I agree. I think song-wise, I like this one better than the second OP. Um, but visuals, I actually like the second OP a little bit better. And then we have the ED for the prequel, or the prequel arc, um, Akari, or translated as Light by Soshi Sakiyama. Um, this is just a slice of life ED of the main players in this season. Although there's an imagery of like black and white fish that swim through shots of Gojo and Geto, which I would assume to be a, like a yin and yang of some sorts. And in that way, it kind of makes you think about what happened to this duo that went so wrong. Yeah, it's just, it's another JJK ED to me. I For some reason, I'm like not super crazy about like any of the EDs at Jujutsu Kaisen so far. But this one was, it was good, but nothing that really grabbed my attention. Yeah, I, I would say I, I really have no preference between the two EDs from this season. Um, but I, I'll say they were miles better than the one with the, the shrill voice <laughs> from season <laughs> one. Um, lyrics for this one, I would say they're possibly from Gato's perspective and how he and Gojo can no longer see eye to eye. So similar in theme with the OP. Um, when you have lyrics like, before my good will breaks down, I should have told you everything in a life where night descends and dissolves, dissolves, the murky feelings flicker in the dim light. So I think very symbolic of Gato there. In episode two, Hidden Inventory 2, Mojo Gojo and Gato Superstar easily take control of the faction distraction and get nice and acquainted with Tengen's vessel, Rico Mambo, and her maid, Misato. Meanwhile, Tochiguro has a five-head strategy by putting a 30 million double-dollar bounty on Rico's head in order to wear down the divining duo with a flurry of NPC curse users, such as an old geezer and a man who thinks a paper bag is a good form of headwear. Unfortunately, Misato the maid didn't report for cleanup duty, for being taken hostage is quite a mess in itself. So here's where we start to get more lore around Gojo, because I think Toji, Zeddy Toji, says that Gojo is so strong because he has two powers that haven't been present in the same user for a really long time. And that's the first like breadcrumb that we're getting to help understand why Gojo is as OP as he is. Um, and so there'll be more to add on top of this as, as we go along. But uh, yeah, I think for this episode, what I really enjoyed was the fight scene with the dude with the bag on his head. It was just fun. Something about that fight scene was like really fun compared to the intense um, brooding fights that we typically get this season. That was a guy who had like the clones. Yes. And then Gojo was just OP enough to to take him down. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess another show of his strength there. Um, but prior to this, there was that this was a clear fan service shot where Gojo enters the cla- or Rico's classroom and then all of the 
all of her like classmates and even the teacher start fawning over him. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, again, he, he's clearly the poster boy for for Mop and uh, of course for this this manga, so. Those people were just the anime fans around the world that love Gojo. I guess the only other thing that I noticed in this episode and actually throughout this season is how it has such a varied soundtrack just in these first two episodes um, because you have this sort of slow guitar piece and then uh, it builds into like this church chorus piece as I think Toji places the bounty on Rico's head and I kind of like how it it transitions that chorus piece into the the music class. Um, So I'll probably have some more music callouts um, throughout this review. I, I don't have the tracks, the exact tracks um, listed, but I do know that the composer is Yoshimasa Terui. So credits to them for again having such a diverse soundtrack. In episode three, Hidden Inventory 3, Misato's mess is magnificently cleaned up by Mojo Gojo, Ghetto Superstar, and Rico Mambo allowing them to wait out the rest of the bounty before Rico's assimilation at Jujutsu Hogwarts. But of course, this proves to be the perfect time for Tochigoro to ambush Gojo with his mudblood curse powers, turning the sexy sorcerer into fish fillet. Meanwhile, Gato Superstar escorts Rico Mambo to the assimilation site, asking, You sure about that? You sure about that? But just as Rico is about to recant, Tojigoro manages to mangle this moment as well, and sends Gato into a cursing rage by activating his sailor mouth mode. This is a really good episode, and one of the first times we're seeing Gojo at a level lower than OP, which makes sense. He's a student at this point. He's still learning about his own techniques, his own abilities, but normally he's got everything under control and never shows concern or fear, but we finally see him pushed to his limit. He's tired and ultimately scared during the fight with Zeri Toji, and I like that. It's just weird seeing him out of his element. It's weird seeing him in a vulnerable state. Kind of a taste of what's to come if you think about it what happens in Shibuya. Yeah. And I think the the wildest part of this whole episode is when Gojo drops his guard after being like pushed to his limit because he's trying to stay awake to protect Rico. And the moment he drops his guard, he immediately gets stabbed by Toji. I'm like, that was fucking wild. That was really, really cool. And then it leads directly into this fight scene that was really good. And then Toji fucking kills Gojo. This episode was a wild ride. I know. And I, it caught me off guard because I was like, what the fuck? Like, Gojo's dead? But then I forgot this is a prequel. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously, he's fine. Um, but yeah, that was that was a gut punch. Sometimes when that happens, like, you have, it, it's like one of two scenarios, right? Like, you know what's going to happen because what you're witnessing took place in the past so you're kind of not invested you're just like oh it doesn't matter anyway i know the person lived right or it doesn't matter anyway i know the person dies but here i was invested this is the other side of that coin because even though we know gojo's going to live because he still exists in present day i'm super curious to know how he lived and that's what kept me like going throughout the end of that episode after he gets killed yeah it builds character hey. <laughs> and i guess this is kind of like a reminder for him like not to to drop his guard uh when faced in situations like this although i guess that kind of happened in shibuya 
but you know, I guess doing his damnedest to make sure that he's protecting whoever he needs to protect. And now I say it was wild to see the part where Toji stabs Gojo out of nowhere and like it takes you by surprise as the viewer because you don't know what's coming. But they kind of did it twice because they did the same thing with Rico when Toji shot her in the head at the end of the episode. It's like that sudden, oh my God, the person's fucking like dead. Mm-hmm. Like they went from the Gojo stabbing to the gunshot. Although I will say I kind of felt like something really bad was going to happen to her. Like I felt like she was going to die in that moment. I didn't know how. But I was getting red flags because things were like too pleasant. And we had just seen Gojo die. So we knew that Toji was still out there. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of knew something was going to happen. Yeah. I mean, this arc has to explain why Gojo and Gato had a fallout. So, um, yeah, I feel like all signs had to point to something happening to Rico in order to catalyze that. Although, why, why does Toji want rico killed the bounty oh so that he can get the money he wants those bags but then why why do like the factions or one of the factions want her killed they a bunch of factions want her killed because they don't want her assimilating with tengen sama oh so it's just more so out of like religious yeah they each have their own like specific motivation but all have that common goal of not having tengen assimilate with somebody Okay, got it. And that kind of just feeds into like Gato's rage about these non-sorcerers affecting like sorcerers and curses. Kinda, yeah. It was nice seeing in this episode that Gojo and Gato agreed to save Rico if she didn't want to assimilate. It just really humanizes both of them because Gojo's always OP. He's always got his shit together. Like sometimes he feels like he's beyond reach, but that kind of humanized him. And same with Ghetto because Ghetto we see as a villain oftentimes or most of the time. And that, that also humanized him. Like he, he does care about others despite what we've seen prior to this prequel arc. In episode four, Hidden Inventory 4, Tojigoro flips Ghetto Superstar's Wardo upside down by holding his own against the future fiend, giving a Bond villain speech about how he managed to be so OP. After defeating and leaving Ghetto within one health point, Tojigoro delivers Rico Mambo's body to one of the factions vying for her body until Mojo Gojo suddenly resurrects from the dead and, with the power of God and anime on his side, sends Toji to the Shadow Realm but not before the withering worm wrangler asks him to keep an eye on his son Fushi Kushi. Gato replenishes his HP thanks to Shokoloko and finds Gojo carrying Rico's body through the faction church. The sexy sorcerer ponders whether to kill these muggle monsters, to which Gato refuses the heinous act. But does he? Wait, don't you call Fushi from To Your Eternity Fushi Kushi? Oh, Oh, shoot, did I? <laughs> I'm, I was trying to remember what I called Fushiguro in... Oh, yeah, I guess I just called him Fushiguro. <laughs> I'm looking at my notes for Jujutsu Kaisen Season. Okay. When you said I was like, wait a minute, that sounds familiar. <laughs> okay, well, now there's there's two, there's two a Fushikushi variant. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was another great action-packed episode. I love the fight between Gojo and... Um, fucking daddy toji seeing gojo on his high was like crazy again he's so calm and collected all the time so seeing him on edge like that and just like riding the high was really really out of character 
Um, but also like the unexpected music choice for the fight, I think amplified how cool that fight was. What was the music choice? I don't think I had notes for that. Uh, oh, was like, wait, for which fight? For like when Gojo's squaring off with Toji and defeats him. Uh, like when he's on his high, it was just like very strange, but okay. it was like really cool. Because I noticed, I don't, I didn't up. even write down what kind of oh. music it was. I just remember <laughs> it being a really cool music choice, like okay. unexpected music choice for that moment. Because in my notes, I wrote like when Ghetto fights against Toji in the tombs, um, there's like a jazz fusion soundtrack that plays. I think it, maybe it's a. I don't know if it's the same for Gojo versus okay. Toji. Because there are a lot of instances where jazz is used to highlight action scenes, which yeah. is. Kind of out of, I feel like that's out of the norm, but I think it's done very well in Jujutsu Kaisen. Yeah, so definitely. I'm hoping that's that's the same music that happened in Gojo's <laughs> scene. But we find out, I think, through the fight between Toji and Geto that the reason Zaddy Toji is so OP is because he's a regular ass person. He just uses cursed tools, so like he can't be sensed by cursed users light or sorcerers mm. because he has no curse in him to sense in the first place which is why he was able to sneak up on gojo isn't that like my zenin yeah she okay. also can't she's not like a she doesn't have any curse ability so she uses cursed items or both of them right uh, my and maki i forget no maki is the one maki is the one with the glasses she needs the glasses because oh, right. she can't see curses but Okay, <laughs> but because there was that whole. But she has arc. cursed energy. Uh no, <laughs> Wait, she's what? a regular person who can't okay. see curses, but she uses cursed items, cursed tools, to be able to do what she does. And then my, her her twin sister, right there, twins. Yeah, I think the one with the gun, <laughs> the one who shoots the fucking gun. I think she has cursed abilities because oh. there was that whole arc in the the second half of season one. That like shed a little more light on their relationship and Maki, right? Mm -hmm. Maki's the one. Maki's the one with the glasses. Yeah, she feels like for a long time she felt inadequate compared to her sister, and she was shunned by the Zenin, Zenin clan because she can't see curses. Mm -hmm. So that's why she had like her whole revenge plot against them. Not like a revenge, right? But um, she wanted to like prove them wrong and became really strong. So anyway, I think it's a similar situation with Toji. Um, he's a regular ass person using cursed tools, but that he uses it to his advantage and that's how he's so fucking strong. Is that also why he rejects the Zenin clan? Yeah. Like for being like outcasted. A lot of people seem to hate them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that even triggers his memory in his final moments thinking like, oh shit, that's right. I have a son and he's going to end up in that fucking clan that I hate. So he just tells Gojo like, hey, my son's going to be sold off to the clan in a few years do what you want with that information. But really, it was kind of like a subtle cry for help for his son. Cause he, that he suddenly cared about. I know, right? Because like, <laughs> he'll be gone, so now he needs someone else to help his son out. But also, does he really care about his son? Like This makes me confused. I'm like, do you actually care about Fushiguro? Or do you just feel guilty in your final moments? And so you're, you're like, oh, shit, right? I can't take care of him. Yeah. <laughs> like, for real, I can't take care of him. <laughs> um, he also told you calls out for losing to a monkey right and that's the yeah. whole like monkey thing that gato sticks with I, the next episode where he calls them like fucking monkeys like he talks I, I about non-sorcerers yeah like maybe that. that's where it all stems from because mm. he fucking hates toji because he killed rico in that moment yeah so planting the seeds there for how gato 
descends into villainy. In episode 5, Premature Death, it's the year 2007. Steve Jobs has just announced the iPhone, the last book of the Harry Potter series has been published, and Mojo Gojo has become so OP that he's left Gato Superstar alone with dark thoughts that turn into much darker actions when he accepts his role as Muggle Monkey Murderer. Gojo, of course, is hurt Brocken, but unable to bring his beleaguered buddy back to the light side, and thus their friendship ends in a GG no re. Gojo Ghetto no re. So, yeah, time skip in this episode, jumping ahead um, a little bit and kind of connecting how everything ended up as it is. As we experienced it in season one, um, you know, kind of bringing things full circle. It explains why Ghetto has this reason for his hate and ass, like even killing his own parents. He basically wants to stop curses from forming in the first place by getting rid of the source, which is non-sorcerers. Because mm-hmm. I think in his conversation with the chick who looks like Sephiroth, <laughs> that's what she looks like to me. <laughs> uh, uh, Yuki, I think, was, was her name. Yeah, she looks like fucking Sephiroth. Uh, so the Sephiroth lady, I don't, she just comes out of fucking nowhere. I don't know who the fuck this lady is, but she unintentionally- She's there for the to, to advance the plot. <laughs> yeah, she's a plot device. She unintentionally creates an evil villain in Ghetto by saying all this shit. And he's like, hmm, that sounds kind of like appealing to me right now. Like instead of just putting a Band-Aid over these issues, let's just get rid of the source. Yeah, although I think he proposes like genocide as an option. But then Yuki's like, you could do that. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Kind of leaving her like not as like a... Making sure like she's not incriminated in whatever Ghetto chooses to do next. Someone needs to find this lady and hold her accountable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but then at the end of the episode, um, I think that's when we see Fushiguro meet Gojo for the first time. Yes. And then Gojo changes his fate by turning him against the Zenin clan and says like your stepsister which we know he has a very close relationship with from the first season your stepsister won't be happier with them and you guys aren't better off with the clan let me know what you want to do i'll fucking help you out but you got to let me know little sundere kid he's he's a sundere even as a kid this is why i love fushiguro was fushiguro in jujutsu guys in zero none of them were because i think it was all just the the prequel oh wait i could be wrong i don't know it's been a while since we watched it but i don't recall I know Itadori was no, he wasn't in... at all. I don't know now. No, no, <laughs> Second guessing. no Itadori was not. But I can't remember if Fushiguro was. Um, the only other thing I want to call out from this episode is is the breakup. <laughs> the breakup scene where it's Gojo and Gedo. They're talking to each other, but they're like 10 feet away from each other. Oh, yeah, and, in a fucking crowd too. <laughs> yeah, like, and you know, I think they're talking about their philosophies or whatever. Is, like no one else in the crowd is hearing this and feeling concerned. <laughs> I know, right? It is very much a breakup scene, though. It's it's like like Western ro- cheesy romance moment. Yeah, I'm pretty sure like the music set to this felt like the music you'd hear in a breakup scene. Um, yeah, and you know I, I've made a lot of comparisons between uh, Jujutsu Kaisen and Harry Potter. Uh, I would say the relationship between Gojo and Gedo. Is another one that makes me think of that series because it reminds me a lot of. I always call Gojo like the Dumbledore of Jujutsu Kaisen and how OP both characters are, but they have relationships with the antagonists um, in their respective series. 
uh, well, in Harry Potter, it's Grindelwald. Here, it's it's Gedo. Uh, so, you know, just very interesting that they th- there's a dynamic there that is shared again between these both both of these series. And now we move on to the Shibuya incident arc with episode six. It's like that. It's October 2018. Tom Brady has just completed his 500th touchdown pass. Sears has just filed for bankruptcy. And Toto and Mei Mei have nominated the Jujutsu Hogwarts' Class 1A for the rank of first grade sorcerer. Meanwhile, Jujutsu Hogwarts' main trio is caught in the trances of teenage love before they are tasked with tracking down the school's leak, Bats Mekamaru who has made a deal with Discount Shigaraki to repair his body made of glass bones and paper skin. However, a fight ensues because it was a double-triple cross, as Bats Mekamaru summons Mega Mekamaru whilst warning Mojo Gojo that some real cursed shit is about to go down in Shibuya. Call it Halloween. So before we forget, OP and ED, that starts us off in the present day arc. OP, we have specials with a Z by King New. Um, it's, again, a Shibuya opening as, I, guess, I call it Jujutsu Hogwarts and the, the League of Villains for Jujutsu Kaisen. Like, they are all just in walking cycles and they band together to face off against each other. And I, I, I quote this from Morgan from The Walking Dead, red, red, everything is red. I uh, forgot all about that. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> contrasting to the the blue from the first OP. Yeah, the song is decent. It's like edgy, but I don't I'm not super like crazy about it. It's fine, but I love the visuals. Like, yes, it has Mappa's signature slow-mo walking shots, but I love the black and red theme and I love how fucking badass every single character looks. It's not like as intense or flashy because there's no fight scenes like we get in the first OP from the first season and all of that but it just looks fucking badass. Um, and that's okay. Like sometimes we don't need like the the intense openings that we typically get in anime. Like this one's, uh, it's a different take. It's just showing everyone looking really cool in every shot that they're in. And I'm down for that. Lyrics wise, I would say the song feels ominous as if it's heralding the start of something fresh and exciting. Or in the case of Gojo Ceiling that takes place in this arc, the start of something horrifying. Um, You have lyrics like, let's dance on the brink of the precipice, Tokyo's front line, the city of excitement, in the midst of struggling at the brink of the end, show me even your impolite side. Then we have the ED for the Shibuya incident arc, which is More Than Words, and no, not that song, (laughs) (laughs) by, I think it's Porno Graffiti is is the band, Uh, but it's More Than Words by Hichiji Bungaku. These are just walking cycles too of uh, Itadori and Fushiguro and Kugisaki as they kind of travel across Tokyo's urban sprawl, including Shibuya 109, because that's obviously a focal point in this arc. And they have disposable cameras in their hand. That's that's such a throwback. That is a throwback. I like this one. I don't, the song again is like fine for me. Um, it's a pretty good ED compared to the other ones. I like that it's a bit stylized, but not overly stylized. It's chill. It's it's fine. Like again, as as I said earlier, all of the EDs in Jujutsu Kaisen are just kind of like pretty good or like okay, somewhere between like okay and pretty good to me. Oh, it was more than words by extreme. <laughs> 
Porno Graffiti was the album that it was from. Oh. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> but no, it's not that same song. Yeah, I think visuals-wise, this reminds me of the ED with the shrill voice because it's more of like... Yeah, the, I have the same thing. Yeah, the, the slice of life kind of uh, side to the trio. Uh, which makes me think that they could have... <laughs> it would be funny if they, for the, the prequel, if they did a Lost in Paradise kind of ED with... Uh, with Ghetto. Gojo, Ghetto, and Shoko. <laughs> yeah. That'd be cool. <laughs> but that would be so out of the element for like the drama of that arc. Uh, Lyrics-wise for this ED, I think it's just a song about friendship, kind of highlighting the positives of Itadori's trio and, and their friendship in contrast to that of Ghetto and Gojo's. When you have lyrics like, because when it feels like there's nothing you can do, there's something there still in you that's wanting to believe that you, you can do it too. So diving into episode six, we go back to present day and immediately upon like the first few seconds of this episode, I'm like, holy shit, I miss this trio. I miss them so much. Like they're still one of my favorite trios in anime, largely because their friendship is portrayed in a way that is so realistic. They are so casual with each other. They're so comfortable with each other. They shoot the shit with each other. They banter with each other. Like they are so casual and relaxed. It's how we would act with our friends. They just cat mm-hmm. like Mappa in, in this adaptation just like captures the the comfort that this trio has. And to me, that stands out among many main trios in, in different anime. Yeah, it's like it's just seeing them as as high schoolers and you forget that there's a supernatural side to all of this. It's relatable. It's super yeah. relatable. Mhm. Although, you know, the first half of this episode kind of was bland. <laughs> I thought it was fun. I mean, yeah, I like liked it, it. <laughs> yeah, it focuses on like someone who's inter- like romantically interested in Itadori. Um that's ends up being pretty consequ- inconsequential uh, compared to the bigger scheme of things bigger scheme of things um although i i kind of enjoyed itadori talking about uh human earthworm which i'm sure is a parody of human centipede and his excitement to see this i think throughout the the episode or maybe this first half of the episode it's like he's constantly talking about his excitement to see this movie i just thought that was funny i i see what you're saying about the romance element of this episode feeling inconsequential but i kind of feel like it's going to come back in some way like there's got to be a reason that they had this girl in here oh yeah she had the huge transformation yeah but i feel like there's got to be something else like she's going to come back in some way and have some impact Uh, i know a large part of this is to show how like kind itadori is because she assumes, oh, he won't even remember me or he doesn't care about me. And cl- clearly he cares about her. Maybe not like super cares about her, but like, you know, at the basic level, like cares about her as a person. Even back in the days when they were in school together, um, you know, people would make fun of her for the way she looks. And Isidori would be like, she's cool with me. Like, I don't really care about any of that. So it's reestablishing the type of person that Itadori is. But I just feel like there's going to be something more because it kept showing mm-hmm. those walking shots for her and showing her shadow, and it kind of looked like warped at times. Okay, yeah, because okay, now I feel like I should take back what I said about <laughs> the inconsequentiality of this, because um, I forgot about the physical transformation of this character. Yuko Ozawa was her name, because uh, I'm wondering like, is this related to 
maybe a pact she made with like a curse user. Oh, maybe. Right, because they never really explain how she had changed her physique so rapidly. I mean, she they make it seem like it's just her going through her growth spurt, like just growing up. Yeah, but th- you mentioning the shadow thing. I don't know if that's just like a visual representation of like her feelings being like bullied and stuff and mm. her insecurities. But with it, with this being a show about curses, who knows if this is going to make something bigger happen. Yeah, I think it, it'll it just be a point that hopefully we'll see in the future that gets cleared up. But what I really love about this whole f- episode and, and the romance and everything um, is that we... I don't know. It's it's watching Nobara and Fushiguro like be so invested in this like uh, potential yeah. crush for Itadori. <laughs> like I okay, I I figured Nobara would be like be like that, right? Like she's interested, she wants to be nosy, she wants to learn more about it, she kind of wants to help move things along. But when she called Fushiguro, I was like not sure what to expect. I figured his soon that I asked would be like, "Why are you calling me about this shit? I don't care." But the second he was like wait what's going on like his his reaction was unenthused when he got to the restaurant and once he figured out what they were talking about he was all in he was completely invested just like nobara (laughs) and i love watching fushiguro and nobara like their relationship and their banter and stuff so yeah seeing them like want to know more about this crush that this girl has on itadori was so funny to me Plus, we get confirmation that Nobara has no romantic interest in Itadori, so I can still hold out hope for my Fushiguro Nobara ship. I, I'm one of the, the very few that ship them, but I'm here. But then who is shipped with Itadori besides Jennifer Lawrence? Uh, this chick, the really tall <laughs> chick. She she meets a lot of the criteria. She's tall. Yeah, what what did he say? Like the, the, the kind of woman he's interested in? Tall with big butts, I think. <laughs> yeah. Is that it? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I think that's what got Toto to be his best friend. And speaking of Toto, we also see that Toto is still my friendo. <laughs> my friend. <laughs> and him and the chick with the braids um, recommend. May, may. Yeah, recommend everyone as first grade sorcerers. And every time I hear them say, or hear, read them say first grade, I, I think of first grade of elementary school. <laughs> I can't get over it. It's like first grade sorcerers just makes me think of like child sorcerers. Yeah. Why don't you just call it like S tier? Yeah. S <laughs> tier so sorcerers. What do you think about Mechamaru being the mole though? Um, Is he though? Because he, I don't know. Like he, he seems like he's the mole, but then also like he's doing shit to protect everybody. Like he's yeah. two timing both sides. I don't know. What was the whole mole thing before? Or was it what like with the school getting during the tournament arc? Yes. Oh, okay. okay yeah, I think yeah, that yeah. was it. Okay. Yeah, again, I, I didn't watch the recap. <laughs> I have to <laughs> jog my memory as this episode goes on. I mean, it was weird because we we see like what Ghetto and Discount Shigaraki are are up to. They're doing like their villain shit, but then it, it felt like the show went from supernatural anime to fucking mecha. mecha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like the hell just happened in episode seven, evening festival. Mega Mechamaru gains the upper hand in the fight against Discount Shigaraki because he is a fucking mecha. Until Discount Shigaraki counters with a domain expansion. Until Mega Mechamaru counters with a simple domain. Until Discount Shigaraki counters with a fuck you, I'm alive, you're dead. Ghetto Superstar learns from the experience in preparation for Halloween where a veil falls over Shibuya with Jujutsu Sorcerers on standby to engage. 
but looks like Mojo Gojo has already crashed the party. So the first half of this episode was this like wild mecha fight, right? Between Mechamaru and uh, Mahito or whatever. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I didn't know what the fuck was going on (laughs) the whole time, but it looked cool. And it felt it, cartoony, though. It gave off this classic mecha anime vibe from I like guess. animation to music. So I enjoyed it for that aspect, but I was not invested at all in this fight because it was hard to follow what was going on with the way everything was animated. And then it didn't matter anyway because there were red flags everywhere when Mechamaro kept saying like he'll be able to see everyone after this fight and kept thinking about his crush. And I'm like, this guy's going to die. And then he died. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Well, yeah, he technically died, but then he had those fragments. Yeah, but he confirms in the future episode where he pops up again in Itadori's ear. He's like, I died. But then he's so sentient. Like, is it? I know. We'll we'll talk about that because it feels weird (laughs) that, like, yeah, he is so sentient, basically isn't dead, but, like, is dead. Also, just weird. Miwa, I think, is is his love interest because she starts speaking to his, his puppet. Unaware that he's already dead, like a hundred miles away, it just makes me think. I I know you're you're not falling in love with the puppet, but like, I, I don't know. It's kind of weird. Maybe they just bonded on on a, another level that we can't comprehend. The best part of the episode, though, was the very 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 end where Gojo suddenly shows up through the veil wall, but when he goes through it, he knocks over some dude and then just says, oh, sorry, and then the episode cuts. <laughs> <It just cuts. laughs> like, that is great. I love that kind of dumb shit in Jujutsu Kaisen because it's always very intense. It's always, um, you know, it's it's very, like, moody, but then there's these moments of, like, comedic relief that I, I so very appreciate. Yeah, I would say Jujutsu Kaisen does a good job of balancing comedy and intense, or, like, tension much like Demon Slayer does. Um, and uh, yeah, that's all just embodied in Gojo, who at times is just a happy-go-lucky guy, but then he knows when to get serious, like in the next episode, episode 8, The Shibuya Incident. Mojo Gojo encounters three members of the League of Extra Demonary Villains in Shibuya Station, while Yujio is tasked by Mei Mei and Wee Wee to fight-fight a cursed grasshopper grasshopper protecting a newly discovered veil. Captain Magma and Antler Eyes use human meat shields in an attempt to throw Gojo off the scent and to let Ghetto cook his prison realm recipe. But when Gojo throws off his blindfold, you know he's about to throw down. It's sort of a weird episode um, because there's that fight that feels like we just don't need to get too invested in it because it's over pretty quickly. I felt like this grasshopper fight was more so to remind us of Itadori's skill mm-hmm. and show that there's a reason that he's being considered as a first-grade sorcerer. Because other than that, I don't know what I was supposed to take away from this fight. I was reminded that cursed spirits are drawn with very rough lines in comparison to everyone else, kind of to highlight them in a way. Um, and you know, where he punches the grasshopper to oblivion, it, it kind of sounded like machine gun fire. Did you get Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was just funny. Um, also, who's Wee Wee? Did we ever his, meet? It's his, uh, I mean, it's I, hers. It's her brother. Yeah, Mei Mei's younger brother. But who was definitely he? has like a Syscon yeah. complex going on. Did we meet him previously? I don't think so. Okay. But I could be wrong. Yeah, it's just weird that he was just there with, his sister in the midst of all this chaos. 
I think another reason that this episode feels weird is because for Gojo, this kind of feels like a prequel to the main fight when like, you know, shit really hits the fan. It's more in this episode about the lore explanation on how they're going to counter Gojo's OP abilities because they spent a lot of time in JJK explaining Gojo's abilities. So they need to spend as much time explaining how to counter them and how to overcome them. Although in reality, it's just them buying time for Gedo to prepare his prison realm thing. Essentially, yeah. I One thing that um, bothered me about Gojo in this episode, and it's going to be completely unfounded with the next episode, but at, at the time of watching episode eight, I felt like, you know, as cool and calm as Gojo is known to be, sometimes he needs to show a bit of sympathy for regular people because, like, they're all being killed around him, and he's totally unfazed. And I know, like, as I was watching this episode, I'm like, I know he he cares about people. It just sometimes he gives off this air of being better than everybody else because he is so fucking OP. And even when they're dying, he's not he's not showing a ton of urgency, at least in episode eight, to stop this fight. And, like, I get it. Like, he's trying to understand the situation first to avoid making any, like, hasty decisions that'll hurt people but that was like the the impression i was left with by the end of episode eight but again all that's going to be completely dismissed in episode nine which i'll explain in, in just a second when we get to that episode but that's just the feeling i was getting in episode eight and maybe that was intentional maybe that was the intent behind the way they portrayed gojo in episode eight so that when you get to episode nine you realize there is more depth to him yeah i don't know if this was kind of a callback to well, in the prequel arc, uh, the premature death arc where Rico had died and he's carrying her body as I think whatever faction it was was like applauding her death. Remember, he was like, he was asking Ghetto, like, should we kill these people? Yeah. Um, kind of showing like his indifference in that situation. So I, it, I guess in that sense, it almost shows how Gojo, his morality kind of lies in a gray area here. But like you said, uh, episode nine, uh, it kind of opens up like his moral compass a little bit more. And speaking of which, episode nine, Shibuya Incident Gate Open, it's a walk in the park, or rather a stroll through the station, as Mojo Gojo fights off the League's attack and crushes antler eyes into mincemeat. But when Discount Shigaraki shows up with the express train to Hertzville, chaos breaks out on the train platform, forcing the sexy sorcerer to release his domain expansion, Infinite Void. But Mojo Gojo has to go-go around the platform and eliminate all 1,000 cursed threats while protecting its human hostages in the span of 0.2 seconds. The effort rightfully knocks the steam out of him, but Gojo is once again stopped in his tracks by Gato Superstar, who turns out to be an imitation crabs using Gato's body for his prison realm recipe. At the risk of one more train pun, Bats Mechamaru activates his contingency plan by stuffing his mecha airpods into Yu-Gi-Oh's ear and warning him that Gojo's about to get off his last stop. So as I said earlier, my feelings in the previous episode were dismissed here because we do learn that Gojo actually does care about regular people. 
but he's realistic about sacrifices and about deaths inevitably happening. Mm -hmm. He's simply trying to minimize the casualties instead of trying to achieve the impossible of no casualties. I think, I can't remember which character says it, but basically they say that Gojo is the opposite of Itadori in that Gojo has cold logic. Itadori is very much connected with the people who are being killed or being transfigured or whatever he he feels for them deeply you even get that i think in the grasshopper fight where itadori kind of like he says like, yeah he like prays over the grasshopper so I think or that was like a thing from his uh grandfather i right? think so like yeah telling him to always help others yeah and with gojo it's not that he he isn't wanting to help as many people as possible he's just a realist i think that's what it boils mm-hmm. down to um, so we we see that in Gojo here, and it, it's to the point where he's willing to try the seemingly impossible, which is using his domain, but with extreme limitations, so that he can stop the transfigured humans from killing all of the regular people. This was kind of like that scene with Quicksilver in one of those X-Men films where he's running around saving. Uh, do you remember that scene? I don't know if you watched. I don't know I've if seen I watched like a that YouTube one. Clip, um, where obviously Quicksilver can move really fast, and so he's saving all these people in this chaotic situation. Um, and here it's Gojo kind of doing the same thing by taking down a thousand of these disfigured humans or disfigured creatures. I think it was Jogo who was talking about Gojo's moral compass thinking that he's not going to open up his domain expansion because he doesn't want to risk killing all these people. Um, but he still took that risk. Yeah. And I think it, it panned out fine. So I think the whoever this narrator is, <laughs> she said that like the the limitation he placed was that he only used it for that extremely brief moment so that it just, it basically just like temporarily paralyzed all the regular people. And then in like two months they were fine. Which I guess this this ability kind of came out of nowhere, but maybe it's just another facet of how OP Gojo really is. Have we not? Did we see it before in the the first season? Oh, did we? I thought so. I don't I know. Mean, Again, we, it's like seen, so lore we've heavy. Seen, <laughs> we've seen Infinite Void. Isn't that what know. he used here? Yeah, but for just point two seconds. Oh right, yeah. Like that's the risk he took. He yeah, like took like, a gamble there and was like, "Let me try doing this." No, yeah, I'm talking about like that facet of this domain. Expansion. Yeah, I don't think we've seen that before. Um, but here, I think this whole scene is set to freeform jazz, which is so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very unexpected. But I think it just fits in so well with the chaotic nature of this incident, and. You know, like Gojo having to frantically go throughout the station to take out these threats. Uh, but then we, we learn that it it's basically a trap because here he finally sees Ghetto. It's not Ghetto. I yeah, think, that was a wild reveal. It's a curse that's taken over his body to use his abilities. Yeah, I guess it's a brain that has, like a cursed brain that has taken over Ghetto's body. Which kind of makes sense, thinking about what happened in Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, since we technically witnessed Gato's death there. But then here we see that he's been alive from season one onwards. It does make sense, though, because for a while I was wondering why these curses, Mahito and, and the gang, would willingly collaborate 
and partner with a human, a sorcerer who could just kill them all. Um, cause his ultimate goal doesn't even really align with what they want. Like they're, they're curses that want to be, or they are curses that want to be treated like regular beings and just be able to live in the world, even though they're fucking like murderous. Um, and so they want to get rid of the humans. Ghetto wants to get rid of regular people to stop curses from existing in the first place. So that would be mm-hmm. a threat to them. So it was confusing. I'm like, why would they partner when they're ultimate goals are completely clashing with each other but now this makes more sense so is it like they're they're using the same means for different ends unless this like fake ghetto doesn't even have the original goal that real ghetto has they just are using his body for his abilities because that's what this brain mentioned right like it was only it only took Ghetto's body because it wanted the prison realm thing. I think so. And in order to trap Gojo or seal him, which <laughs> I, I know like Twitter had like this whole thing about Gojo being sealed. Like there's a Twitter account that was out, you know, prior to this all happening in the anime. And I had maybe we, maybe I was just spoiled without realizing what they meant by Gojo being sealed. But there was like a counter to it. Like Gojo has been sealed for how for many days. Um, yeah, I'm trying to find the Twitter account. There's actually multiple of them. Um, but it's something along the lines of like, it basically says like Gojo has been sealed for X number of days and just keeps counting the days. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know what this means, but I feel like it's a spoiler. And it kind of was a spoiler <laughs> yeah. for so us now, anime people. Now we kind of understand why. But I think... At the time of this episode airing in Japan, maybe it was like an anime convention or somewhere in Japan, there were newspapers being handed out that actually said Gojo has been sealed. Oh, really? That's funny. (laughs) Yeah, I'll have to find, maybe it was a tweet or an article, um, but if I find it, I'll I'll share it on the Discord for everyone to see. Because I thought that was was a pretty neat tie-in to the anime. And like just this whole Shibuya thing. Which it's kind of perfect timing because this happens in Halloween or during Halloween, and Halloween is coming up uh, this month. So I'm sure people are going to be all over, like, oh, the Shibuya incident arc is about to happen here. Although this technically happened in 2018. In episode 10, Pandemonium, Mojo Gojo tries to appeal to the real Gedo superstar who tries to choke his parasitic benefactor to no avail, and thus his fate is literally sealed though Gojo proves to be quite the annoying tenant. Gato stays behind to make sure the jail-in-a-box stabilizes, while the rest of the League of Extra-Demonary Villains chases after Yujiro to determine his fate. Speaking of the Devil Vessel, Yujiro is tasked with warning all the Jujutsu Sorcerers in Shibuya that Gojo's mojo is no mo, and runs into Kent Overhaul, who tasks him, Fushikushi, and upperclassman Ino Supremo to destroy the remaining veils and shut down Halloween for good. So much. So much happens in this episode, but it's really interesting. So, um, yeah, Ghetto's hand reacting to Gojo and, like, him being sealed and Ghetto, like, trying to fight back against the curse manipulating him was kind of wild because that gives you that that glimmer of hope that there's a way to save Ghetto. That's true. Actually, a question I was going to have for the last episode. So this is Gojo's first time seeing this resurrected Ghetto? It's got to be, yeah. I find that so weird because we've just seen him 
so many times. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess he has been kind of working behind the scenes. He also has never seen Mojito. Remember when Mojito first shows up when the train arrives? He's like, oh, is this the patch face that Itadori was telling me about? Yeah. It's like weird. Yeah, because like mm-hmm. we've seen all these characters in so many different scenarios that we just assume that they've all crossed paths before. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, they haven't. Also, I'm backtracking, but that that whole train thing where everyone's like, oh, let's board the train. And then they suddenly see because the windows are blinded out and then they suddenly see the disfigured creatures come out. It's like, why why wouldn't you just see that right away? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, it's going back to to this episode. So then, uh, yeah, also the guy that drives them everywhere gets stabbed a bunch of times. I was like, what the fuck? Like, that's random. uh, Ijichi? Yes. Yeah. That was actually a sad death. I liked him as a character. Is he die? Is he is he die? Is he dead? He got stabbed like three times. Yeah, but this is anime. Unless you actually see them die, or oh, someone confirms their death. Dead. <laughs> <laughs> that was like it happened out of nowhere. I was like, "What the fuck is going on?" This poor guy. Mm-hmm. And then we get confirmation that Mekamaru is dead, but that he planned ahead with this whole like. AI of of himself essentially so that he could warn the rest of the team about what's happening to Gojo. Like that was kind of weird. Yeah, this guy was kind of ready for anything except preventing his own death from <laughs> happening. <laughs> yeah, like a contingent because his earpiece happened to fall right where Itadori was in that subway. I think those little like chips of him, he like he's they're like moving on their own because the other one's monitoring the curses uh, with gojo being sealed okay. and relaying information back to what wherever but it's all like him post-death so it's like probably an ai version of his consciousness okay i just thought like he just happened to know where all of these things were happening and so that's why these earpieces were planted and that monitor was planted in the subway or whatever. It was probably following everybody is mm. my assumption. But yeah, that that whole thing is going on. And now he's working with everybody to try and alert the rest of the sorcerers. Um, and I love the part where he tells Itadori to listen carefully. And then Itadori instinctively whips the earpiece out of his <laughs> ear and like smashes it into the ground. And they purposely took that out of the climax of the previous episode. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> And then Itadori takes that that information and um, does what he needs to do. He goes out into the city and jumps onto the rooftop and yells for Nanami, which was great because it gets around the fact that they can't use their cell phones in the veil. Mm-hmm. And it's a huge area that they would have to try to search for each other. So he's like, fuck it. I'll just yell for him at this point. And it works. But Shibuya's loud. We've been there. Yeah. <laughs> like, not just like the people. You have all the advertisements going off. Yeah. I don't like, know. I guess he can yell really fucking loud. Yeah, he has like present mics uh, audio levels. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get more explanation. So again, it's like these these breadcrumb details about Gojo and why he's OP. And here it's more of an explanation about like his influence on the world. So one thing I like about Jujutsu Kaisen after learning more about Gojo is that their OP as fuck character isn't OP for the sake of being OP, right? Like, there's a lot of other OP characters out there where they're just OP purely based on like strength of ability and whatever, and that's it. Like they're just there to like stop the threat. But Gojo, while he also is that, right? Like he's OP as fuck. He's there to stop the threat. He his existence influences the entire balance of the world because of his family. Yeah, or, that and like, like his dual abilities. Hmm. Like he he is 
actually legitimately OP for a reason. Like this makes his OPness feel less cheap or feel like OP-ness. it's OPness. OP OPness. <laughs> you used that before, yeah. <laughs> but it makes it feel less cheap or like the show is trying to take the easy way out. He plays a significant role for civilization. And that's a huge burden for Gojo to bear if you think about it. But again, like I like that it it makes the fact that he is so overpowered it gives reason. It gives meaning to it is what I'm trying to say. And I like that. It's because sometimes it's annoying when you have an OP character and they're just they're OP for no reason. And it's it's annoying. Like it just it takes away from the depth of the show. Yeah, I know the next episode also covers a little bit of Gojo's backstory and provides more context in that sense. But I guess one thing that I liked about this because or this episode is Obviously, like, Gojo's been sealed in the prison realm, and it feels like now the odds are in the villain's favor, the curse user's favor. But showing Gojo in the sealed box, like, he's not panicking at all. He's kind of just relaxing and chilling out. I mean, the guy's already died once, so... (laughs) (laughs) But I think just the fact that, like, he says something about, like, trusting his team's judgment... And it like, shows images of Fushiguro, Nobara, yeah. and Itadori. Like the, the fact that the most OP character in this universe is placing his good faith on his supporting cast. I, I guess like that shows some semblance of hope in this situation. Yeah. Well, since you've been kind of clearing up a lot of things that have confused me about Jujutsu Kaisen, so the one thing I wanted to clarify is like with the curse users, like Jogo. Choso, Mango Mojito, I don't fucking remember. Wait, Jogo names. is a curse. Yeah. Or, or yeah, curse or curse user, whatever they are. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Jogo, Choso, Mango Mojito, whatever. Um, <laughs> it, they argue over Itadori's fate. Because I guess here too, they have different uh, like different perspectives on what they want to do next. With Sukuna, right? right? Yeah. Sukun, Sukunis nuts. <laughs> oh <my> God. <laughs> So I don't get like so Gojo's out of the picture and so some of them want Sukuna to come back so that they can establish curse supremacy, but then one of them wants to just kill off Itadori complete or two of them want to kill off Itadori completely. Why? Yeah, so my understanding is like Jogo wants Sukuna around because he's He's OP when it comes to the curse side of things and will mm-hmm. ensure victory for curses. But Mojito's like, yeah, but I also want victory for curses. But now that Gojo is sealed, we no longer have the disadvantage. We are now neck and neck. We are eye to eye at the same level mm-hmm. as humans. So we don't necessarily need Sukuna because if we can just get the upper hand for even a moment, we can come out victorious. Okay. But then also, Mahito's goal is to have curses kind of be free to just live mm-hmm. and exist. But he feels under Sukuna, there'll be that force that is like oppressing them. Got it. Okay. So they won't they won't be free to Mahito's liking. Okay. So that's I why don't... he's like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I don't want Sukuna around because we stand now. We stand a chance to defeat the humans now that Gojo has been sealed. Okay. I kind of like that in this show where not everyone on the villain side is aligned to the same goals. Yeah. Uh, Because I feel like that's going to 
be a point of contention down the road. Um, you know, and especially like if I'm ass- like I'm hoping that Gojo breaks out of the the seal at some point. Um, but yeah, what this sort of conflict is like what the consequences of it are going to be moving forward. And in the final episode for part one, episode 11, Seance, Yujiyo, Fushikushi, and Ino Supremo determine that the Veil Conjurers are probably admiring their creation from on high and narrow down their location to Shibuya Central Tower, where they are greeted by an old granny and her unfortunate-looking grandsons. Yujiyo and Fushikushi team up against the mustachioed grandson, while Ino Supremo is left with the ghoulish granny and the now fortunate-looking grandson who just happened to transform into Fushikushi's diabolical dad, leaving Ino diabolically dead. Mustache Man monologues about how Gojo's ceiling means that the world is now the cursed user's oyster, but Yujiyo and Fushikushi are quick with the Uno reverse card to tell him that it's quite the contraire. For this world of Jujutsu Kaisen is neither blessed nor cursed, rather it is blurst. I don't think the guy with the mustache is related to the two, the grandson and the grandma. He's a oh. different name. They're Ogami, I think, and he his name is something else on here, Jiro Awasaka. Oh, I thought they were all related. Well, I could be wrong, but I don't think they are. They just are teaming up because they have the same goal. or they're, they're, They both want Gojo gone. Okay, well, I, I stand <laughs> corrected. But yeah, this episode was um, was a lot of lore. So we get more lore about barriers and veils and how to make them stronger if you're outside of them. We get explanation for how Gojo's birth impacted the world, which, by the way, I'm only like a month and a half older than him. What the fuck? That's crazy. He's in yeah, his 30s. He was born December 7th, 1989. Wow, 89, baby. Um, we get an explanation of Eno's powers, the guy with the beanie. Um, we get a semi-explanation for the old lady and her grandson, but we don't really know why they have Zaddy Toji's remains. And then we get explanation for inversibility. Again, just in one episode, it's a bit of lore fatigue, but it, it all works out. It's fine. It keeps things moving. Um and we get some really cool fights. I, I'm not like super invested in this Eno guy. We just don't know enough about him. Well, he, I'm pretty sure he died. I mean, probably, it, yeah. Uh, yeah <laughs> he got like destroyed. He's facing up against Zaddy Toji or yeah. a, a replication of him. Although, again, unless you see them die on screen or get confirmation of it, he could still maybe oh, be alive. He just seemed, incapacitated as fuck. He seemed fucking dead. <laughs> and then we get the fight between Fushiguro and Itadori, which was like the best for me because I love seeing this trio team up against an enemy or you know two of the, the three. I just miss seeing them in action. I miss it so much. I love the banter between Itarori and Fushiguro. I love the way they like can can partner well together, but also stand on their own. And it really just reminds you that Fushiguro is the brains and Itadori is the brawn here. Don't you think it's just very coincidental that this grandmother happened to summon Toji? Or however this whole seance worked. Well, I think whatever the grandson ate had to be part... I, I'm going to guess that's probably part of Toji's dead body. His bone? Yeah, probably. It says like uh, Jojo vibes, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it also kind of... It's like Sukuna's fingers. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, that's true. But I think this opens up the door for Fushiguro Megumi to have 
like sudden contact with his dad. But it's not going to actually be his dad. It just looks like his dad and has his dad's abilities, I guess. Yeah, unless the, the whoever the grandson starts to take up his dad's personality and his memories. Maybe, yeah, right? Because that, that's kind of what happened with the, the brain that took over Gato's body. Yeah, maybe it's like if he assumes an identity like that. If he's if it's too powerful, it takes over his body. Mm, okay, interesting, interesting. Yeah, because like they took down Mustache Man, but. The grandmother and this grandson are still at large. Yeah, so, as of where we stopped here with episode eleven. Right. So who knows, like, what happens in episode twelve or beyond? But I'm pretty sure there'll be a confront confrontation. I just want more Fushiguro content. He's my favorite. I want to see more of him. How about Nobara? Where has she been? I know it's like season <laughs> one where she kind of gets the backseat all the time, but then mm-hmm. she had like her shining moment when she teamed up with Itadori in the the end of the season. That that good fight that they had. No, I don't remember. It but. was like good as in like it was really cool. Um, I want to see more of her. Well, then here with the flashback scene, um, again, I think this establishes more context around Gojo. So it's Satoru of the Gojo clan with the six eyes and I, I think the the grandmother and the mustache guy like they wanted to get the bounty on his head but then they realized that he was too op yeah and he like already knew that they were watching him because that's like part of his abilities which is why in the prequel episodes um toji says the one and only time anyone's ever noticed me behind them was when i first met gojo when he was a kid like told you was just kind of standing behind him because he had uh. heard about the kid being born and he just like turned around and looks at toji and he's like oh, oh shit <laughs> so is it like something special about the gojos or is it something special about gojo himself i think the clan is just like another clan like zenin but the fact that they had gojo be born elevated them because he's a rare combination of like these two abilities or whatever told you was explaining in the beginning of the season mm, so it like okay. probably elevated their clan because they have such an op fucking person representing them <laughs> okay and yeah i guess the balance of the world changed when he was born except now he's fucking sealed in a box yeah so. <laughs> And that leads us to our final thoughts for Jujutsu Kaisen Season 2, Part 1. So, do you think Season 2 has signed, sealed, and delivered thus far? I think so, yeah. I, I wouldn't say the Shibuya incident is as um, like enthralling, as like compelling, maybe, as what we got in the first two parts of like Season 1. Or like the first, basically Season 1 in its entirety. I think that there was more interesting stuff going on there. Um but I will say that it's shaping up to be really cool. I don't think the Shibuya stuff itself is interesting, but what's going on around it with like Gojo being sealed and what that could mean for civilization, that stuff is really cool. So this is kind of just building. It's trying to take us to the point where Gojo has been sealed and it's like, now what does everybody do on both sides? You know, like the the villains and I guess the heroes in this situation. I loved that the first five episodes of season two hit real hard and they really brought to light how important Ghetto and Goto's story is and how serious um, of a threat Ghetto is not only to non-sorcerers, but now a threat to Gojo as well. Uh, so I think that 
all of this has been really impressive. I I think I like the first five episodes a little bit more than what we're getting in the Shibuya incident, but I am hopeful that the rest of the season, as the Shibuya incident carries through, will be even more intense. Does that make sense? Like, it's like we got really good shit in the first five episodes, and then mm-hmm. we switched gears, and now we're kind of building that foundation up again to get more good shit <laughs> for the rest of the season is is my hope anyway. But what about you? What did you think? I think it's been a very engaging season thus far, at least for me, in, in comparison to season one uh, with both the Gojo and Gedo prequel leading into the Shibuya showdown as the stakes with defeating the curses and the curse users grow ever higher in the absence of the Jujutsu Sorcerer's most valuable player. And I, I think there were a couple complaints about quality of animation this season with certain action sequences, but I would still say that MAPPA is killing it with how this series looks in both visuals and action. I've mentioned this a couple of times, but the prequel I feel kind of glosses over Gato's descent into villainy when it deserved to be better fleshed out, but it still provides enough context to what plays out in the Shibuya incident, especially when it comes to Gojo's decision-making in the subway and the overall escalation in cursed energy throughout the world. However, characters in this core feel more like cameos in order to serve Gojo's story a little more, which I understand, but it's been so long since we've seen Itadori or Fushiguro or Kugisaki or my boy Nanami seeing them in action that to just get a taste of them here almost feels like a, a, a dick tease. But we do get some questions answered around the significance of the sexiest sorcerer alive. But then another question lingers that kind of goes to my previous point. Where the fuck is Sukuna? Like in that same vein, it just also feels like Itadori has taken more of a back seat in this initial half, despite being the series' proper protagonist. Though I hope that, like you said, with this Shibuya incident are kind of building up a foundation, this will be easily overturned when we watch the second half of the season, especially since Sukuna is kind of key to Gedo's or, or pseudo Gedo's plans for cursed domination. I wonder now that Gojo is sealed if that is the the gateway to Itadori playing a more significant role because who else, right? Like who else can compare to Gojo's abilities? Obviously, Itadori is never going to get close to that or at least not for a while, but he has the potential to be like a, a really key player. So maybe that's, maybe we just needed to get Gojo out of the way to let Itadori shine, but we'll see yeah. the way it plays out. And of course, that means we're going to have a part two review when the second season wraps up. So look forward to that. But thank you guys, as always, for tuning in and hope you're enjoying JJK as much as we are. Subscribe, as always, to Strictly Anime on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash thestrictlyseries. And to Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.